As we continue in our worship, would you join me as we consider God's grace for anxious people or grace for anxiety? Join me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 12, verses 22 through 35. Luke 12, 22 through 35. Let me read our text. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, they have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now, I want to remind you as we begin that when I use the word anxiety, I am not talking about what Jesus is talking about in the text, even though the ESV translates it anxious. The word anxious in the text is better interpreted worry, or what you do with that anxiety, with those feelings of uncertainty or even fear. So I'm using the word anxiety as the feeling of uncertainty. And I want to remind you that anxiety is very normal in this abnormal world. It is right for us. It is expected for us to experience anxiety. Uh, this is part of how God has wired us. Uh, when there's a threat to life or limb, that we're going to feel fear or anxiety, and we're going to respond. The question becomes, how do we process that anxiety? Because that's going to reveal a lot about how we think about ourselves, God, and others. And it's going to reveal our value system. And these are tangible things that we can look at and evaluate and ask God to lead us into his grace the very grace that he has for us because he wants to give us rest for our souls. I said last week that we experience anxiety when something we value is being threatened. I'll say that again. If you don't value something and it's getting threatened, you're not going to be anxious. You're only anxious because you value something that's being threatened. Maybe it's retirement, and right now retirement income is being threatened. Maybe it's a child, and you value that child, and so if that child is threatened, you're going to be very anxious. The question becomes, again, how do you process that anxiety? What do you do with it? Um, anxiety is a multi-strand cord. It doesn't come by itself. It has companions. Anxiety often travels with fear, with control, 
It's a multi-strand cord, and when that cord, when anxiety is not dealt with in a way that, that God directs us, uh, if, if anxiety is allowed to kind of run the streets of our minds, um, then we're going to have the, that cord, that multi-strand, very strong cord, begin to constrict our souls. And so anxiety undealt with or dealt, fit, dealt with in an unhealthy way, which I'm going to try and define as we move forward, um, is going to be a very damaging thing to your life, to your soul, and uh, to your own, to, to even your physical being, which we'll discuss briefly as we move along. Um, remember, our response to anxiety is being calibrated by our value system and by the threat assessment that we have made. And again, these are things that we can evaluate. And we can evaluate our responses. And here's what I think Jesus is doing in the text. Jesus is directing us to process our anxiety with God as our good father. Or as I've said in the lesson here, God directs us to process our anxiety with him as our good father. Um, and part of the, the unhealthy ways of processing our anxiety is that we do it alone. We don't talk to God about it. We don't lay our anxieties before the Lord. We don't evaluate our anxieties, our valuables, how we're responding, and the threat that we're facing. And I think Jesus is really laying out for us, process your anxiety in the presence of the Lord. I want to show you that. So if you look at our text, you're going to notice that Jesus identifies the fruit that we need to be looking for. Now, Paul does this in Galatians chapter 5. He says, the works of the flesh are evident. They're obvious. They're clear. It's like fruit on a tree. And then the fruit of the Spirit is equally present, obvious, and clear. And so what Jesus is doing is highlighting some of the fruit of worry in the text. Uh, worry being one of the first pieces of fruit. Uh, worry is a fruit of anxiety that has not been dealt with in the presence of the Lord. Anxiety that has turned into uh, uh, me trying to find a solution, trying to find some kind of hope in a solution that I can come up with. And so I keep processing this problem, this threat, and what it means to my valuable. Um, I read this in The Atlantic. Uh, someone sent me an article from The Atlantic, and it says this, anxiety, and I am interpreting their word anxiety here as worry. Uh, so I'll, interpret, I'll say it that way. Worry is in 2020 ubiquitous. That means everyone has it. It's inescapable, and it's, amb and it's an ambient condition. That means it's functioning in the background. You don't even realize you have it. And I think that's important because what Jesus is doing is saying, hey, I want to show you some signs that you have it, and I want to lead you out of it. Secondly, I think another fruit that Jesus highlights is frenetic activity. And I think this comes out when he talks about the lilies how they neither toil nor spin. They neither toil nor spin. Or maybe the, the ravens, they neither sow nor reap. Um, this is the frenetic activity that we often get caught up in when we're feeling threatened. I have to do something. Um, when our health is threatened because of poor choices or just sitting around too much and not being active, what do we do? We launch into a healthcare program and to some kind of a health management program, we get a frenetic activity because we're responding to the health diagnosis that we've gotten 
and now we're moving quickly to try and make change. That might be motivated by undealt with or anxiety that's been dealt with outside of the presence of God. It might be a good responsible behavior, but often frenetic activity is a sign that we've not processed our anxiety biblically or in, in the presence of the Lord. Uh, beyond that, I think another sign that he, another fruit that he points to and says, hey, you might have a problem if, uh, is, is control. Uh, and he talks about this in the context of adding one hour to your life. Which of you can add an hour to your life? And if you can't do something as small as that, and the actual grammar here is something even easier for us to do than that, but we can't do it. And so what are we doing? We're trying to control the future. And that's usually a sign that our anxiety has not been dealt with well, and it is now turned to fear and to something that's starting to consume us. Um, think of the man in the story just previous to this one, uh, which this one's the therefore, right? Therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious. Well, what's the therefore? And it's the story of the man who asked Jesus to pressure his brother to give him his inheritance. What's this man doing? He's trying to control his brother. He's trying to get Jesus to control his brother. So now he's twisting the, the Messiah's arm. He's twisting the master's arm, trying to get him to twist his brother's arm. Now, this is often a sign that we have not dealt with our anxiety biblically. Um, and then there's the distraction that anxiety creates. And Jesus highlights this when he says, seek first the kingdom of God. Uh, our, what does our anxiety do? Our anxiety really gets us off purpose. It gets us uh, chasing down a solution to the threat that we're experiencing, and we're no longer engaging in the kingdom of God, in the people of God, relating to God, uh, pursuing uh, the grace that we need from God. Uh, instead, we're involved in this activity to try and solve our problem, and we're not kingdom-minded people. And so you can imagine going to the grocery store, and there's opportunities for you to engage in kingdom work, or you go to work, there's opportunities for you to be kingdom-minded, and to be bringing the gospel, and you sit down with a coworker, and they're sharing their heart with you, and they're opening themselves up, and you have a great opportunity to talk to them about their purpose in life. But because you're so focused on the things that you're worrying about, the anxiety that you're processing, you miss kingdom opportunity. But it's more than just kingdom opportunity. It's more than just kingdom involvement. It's the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And most of us are very distracted from pursuing the righteousness of God in our lives because we're so focused on the things of this life. Because the valuables that we feel are, that are being threatened that's what's consuming our time and our energy. And so distraction, this is why he tells us to seek first the kingdom. It's because we've gotten distracted. But there are other signs and symptoms you need to be looking for. You need to be looking for emotional symptoms. A depression can be one of those. As people are processing their uncertainty, if they don't see hope or if they don't have any answers to their valuable being threatened, uh, they can actually go into a period of darkness, of emotional darkness. Sometimes that is the result of undealt with or, or anxiety that's not been dealt with in the presence of the Lord. Uh, growing sorrow. Um, instead of loving people, we, we end up using people uh, to make us feel better. There's a harshness, uh, emotional harshness that comes 
with our anxiety because I don't have time for you. I need to, I need to bandwidth this thing that I'm working on. Uh, sometimes the loss of self-control is, is an important sign that we are not processing our anxiety well. Instead of we're stress eating or we're binge watching, um, these are emotional signs that we are uh, not dealing with our anxiety in the presence of the Lord. There are physical symptoms that we need to consider. Uh, are we having panic attacks? Um, are there psychosomatic issues that we're dealing with that, uh, that we need to uh, find ways to, to help ourselves with? Exercise can be a good one. Um, sometimes just good slowing down your breathing, uh, counting as you breathe, holding your breath, slowing your body down will help get some relief and slow your body's production of cortisol and adrenaline. Uh, and that will give you a moment to process. Uh, I want to encourage you, if you're feeling these levels of anxiety, of acute anxiety disorder, or if you're having panic attacks, uh, you might need to go get some medication to get relief from those symptoms. Now, don't just go get the relief and say, oh, I've got relief now. I can go about my day. Get relief from those symptoms so that you can begin to process your anxiety in the presence of the Lord. Uh, relief is not the goal. A rest for your soul is the goal that God has for you. Uh, so think about getting that help, but look for those symptoms. Uh, and then there are social symptoms as you withdraw, or as again, you show impatience, or as you are trying to have control in your relationships, or maybe you're hiding from people in isolation. Uh, and then there are spiritual symptoms. Uh, if, you don't, if you don't want to pray, you don't feel like you can pray or you should pray or that it makes a difference to pray. Uh, these can be signs and symptoms that your anxiety uh, has not been dealt with in a healthy way, in a way that God uh, prescribes for you to give you rest. And so the question is, what fruit do you see? I think Jesus highlights some of the fruit in the text. Not all of it, some of it. But what fruit do you see? And I think a, an important question is, is it the fruit of the Spirit? Are you seeing love, joy, peace, gentleness, um, kindness, self-control? Are you seeing this fruit in your life? If you're not seeing that fruit, what fruit are you seeing? And I think investigating that will help you identify that ambient worry, that ambient anxiety uh, that you feel. Because again, in 2020, uh, anxiety is inescapable, it's ubiquitous, and it's ambient. So I would encourage you to kind of look at this text and say, what symptoms do I see? What other ones do I see? Do I see the fruit of the Spirit in my life or not? Uh, secondly, I think Jesus captures some of the reasoning behind our anxiety. In other words, once we feel uncertain, we start a thought process. We start processing that uncertainty. And I think Jesus exposes some of the thinking behind that, which I would argue is going to help you. If you will capture those thoughts, it will help you to identify the real valuable that you feel that, that you feel like is being threatened, the real valuable that you're protecting. Sometimes those things can be a little sneaky. They can be a little deceptive. It can look like I value money, but it's not money. It's what money will do for you. And I think you see that in, in the text just previously in the parable Jesus gives, right? 
he the the man has plenty and what does that mean for him it means he can rest eat drink and be merry um, and so he's valuing what the money will do for him and he's not valuing in that moment his own soul um, but we'll we'll get to that uh, so Jesus captures the reasoning that goes on when we start to worry and I think worry again is that first set that first step of dealing with anxiety that's probably the most common uh, issue that we face uh, today what will we eat what will we wear that's the question but it tells you what people are thinking they're not thinking about where's my meal gonna come from or where am I gonna get food no it's more than that they know they have food they just want a different type of food or they want better food maybe there's even a hint here of what certain types of food meant socially uh, what will I wear well, they have clothes, but they want nicer clothes. They want a certain type of clothes. And again, I think this hints at uh, some of the value that's going on in the lives of Jesus's audience. He's talking about what they're valuing, but he's highlighting the processing that's going on in their hearts. And that's why he tells them to consider something. He's engaging their reasoning. He's engaging the logic behind their response and so he's challenging them you're worrying because you're considering what you're going to eat and what you're going to wear you're focused on it you're distracted by it it's consuming your mental energies and so consider the lilies of the field consider the birds of the air think about them i want to engage your mental reasoning your processing that's going on right now and I want you to reconsider something. I want you to consider how God takes care of them and I want you to consider how that factors in to your response to your issues. So Jesus addresses the, uh, the reasoning behind it and it exposes some things. It exposes some thinking that's going on in their lives. Number one, that they're alone and that they're responsible. I'm the one who has to figure out what I'm gonna eat I'm the one who's got to figure out what I've got to wear. You can kind of picture someone about to go to a wedding and they're trying to figure out what am I going to wear at the wedding? Well, Jesus says, stop worrying about that. Stop making that the issue that you're processing, that you're spending your time on. Worry about, think about, process. How are you going to minister to people at that wedding? Not how are you going to come off looking because of what you're wearing? How does what you're wearing compare to other people? Uh, this is the processing that he's addressing. And it's, it's done very independently, very much in isolation, away from the Lord. I'm responsible. I'm alone. I'm responsible. I've got to figure this out. I've got to solve this problem. And then it highlights the ability that they think they have. Jesus really drives home. You can't even add a moment to your day. You can't even, and it's not talking about setting time aside during the day. He's talking about adding to the day or controlling the next few moments of the day. You can't even control the next few moments of your day. How are you going to control the outcome here and, and, and manufacture the outcome that you're hoping for? Um, so there's a, there's a responsibility issue, which I think is helpful because it, it causes me to say, what am I responsible for versus what is God responsible for? Um, how does this anxiety that I'm feeling lead me to a responsible decision, a responsible action versus 
you know, God, this one's this one's on you. You've got to provide this. And look what you know, think about what Jesus is saying. Yeah, God knows He's got to provide that. He's going to. It might not be what you want. It might not be the food that you want or the clothing that you want. But you shouldn't be consumed to those things anyways, because those things don't define your life. Being that Jesus is kind of identifying and zero and and um, capturing that reasoning, so that they can see what they're valuing, and that leads us to our next point. Jesus exposes the root. Jesus exposes that value system. He exposes that belief system uh, that's at the root of the tree of their heart. Um, This is our heart. This is heart work. Uh, And this is what Jesus calls us to, is to do heart work, uh, to look at what we treasure and to evaluate it, uh, but to do so in the presence of God with our Bibles open, saying, God, this is what I value. What do you think about this? And so Jesus then is exposing the root. He's exposing their valuables. He's exposing their value system, their beliefs. Um, And many of them, just like us, value possessions. Life is defined by what we have. Uh, Whether it's through social media, we we kind of uh, have enhanced our covetousness for vacations, for cars, for experiences. And I think we would say life is defined by these things now. You can go on Instagram and there will be a social influencer who is telling you how great this vacation spot is, how nice the clothes they are wearing uh, are, and you can buy them right there off their Instagram post. We are setting up a value system. Our children are being exposed to it every day. And uh, it's, it's a belief that our life is defined by all these things. The type of education we have, the type of job we have, how much money we have, how early we can retire, what we do when we retire. God addresses all of these values. And he says that none of them are valuable. He says that our life, that, that our treasures should be in heaven. Our treasures should be in what we do in the kingdom of God and in the pursuit of his righteousness. And so God is revealing and can use our anxiety to reveal a heart that is chasing after what the world chases after. And this is what Jesus says. The world chases after these things. Don't you do it. You belong to me. And so Processing our anxiety this way can reveal a value system that God wants to change, that God wants us to begin to repent of, and what happens when you don't value things that can be threatened, where moth, rust, and thieves come in and steal. Moth and rust corrupt, thieves break in and steal. What happens when your valuables aren't touchable by the threats of this world? Anxiety is going to significantly abate. So Jesus is dealing with those valuables. And these valuables can be tangible or intangible. A tangible, uh, for example, is the guy in chapter 12 and verse 13, uh, where he says to Jesus, tell my brother to give me my inheritance. Well, that inheritance is a very tangible thing. It is something he can actually put on the accounting books as an asset. Um, So that would be a tangible one, the possessions that we have, the things that we have in our home, the cars in our driveway, 
Uh, these are possessions, but they can very much be intangible ones. Uh, they can be things that aren't parked in the driveway. They can be our reputation. Uh, they can be our health. Uh, these can all be valuables that have that are important, that do have value, but not the value we've put on them. Uh, when we make something good um, a treasure, kind of like Gollum in Lord of the Rings, my precious, uh, when, when that good thing ceases to be a gift that we enjoy and something that we depend and thank God for and it becomes something that we cling to and that we have to have and that if we lose it, we're not going to know how we can survive, we're not going to know how, how that defines us if we don't have that. Now it's moved into idolatry. Now it's moved into something that is more than valuable. Now it's a treasure. And this is where uh, it really leads to high levels of anxiety. And that's why often you'll see wealthier people have higher levels of anxiety than poorer people. It's because they have more that's facing threat and more that they value. So intangible things can be like Peter. If you have your Bibles and want to turn with me to Galatians 2 and verses 11 and 12, you'll remember this story from our study in the book of Galatians. Uh, Paul has come to Antioch, and uh, he finds Peter there eating and drinking with Gentile Christians. God had told Peter that Gentiles were clean, no longer unclean. And so Peter's hanging out with them being a good pastor, sitting down and eating chicken with his, fam with his church family, and unconscious about whether they're Jew or Gentile, until a group of people from, um, a group of people from Jerusalem come and show up, and immediately Peter is afraid. Now notice the text. This is Galatians 2 and verse 11. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. He feared the circumcision party. How did he process that anxiety? We don't know all the thoughts that went into it, but he's protecting an intangible. He's protecting his standing with that group of people from Jerusalem. And it caused him to have a very sinful reaction. The fruit was to withdraw from Gentiles, violating the teaching of the gospel that we are all sinners, that we are all unclean, and that God has forgiven us all and cleansed us all. And so Peter uh, processes his anxiety by protecting his reputation and his standing, a very intangible thing, and separating from the Gentiles. Think about Abraham. Now, Abraham probably is protecting his life at this point. At least that's the reasoning going on in the text. But in Genesis 12, 10 through 16, Abraham and Sarah go down to Egypt. And while they're walking into Egypt, Abraham says, oh man, I'm in trouble. I've got this gorgeous wife um, and uh, Pharaoh's going to see her, and Pharaoh's going to want her, and the only way to get her is to kill me. So let's come up with a scheme, honey. Tell Pharaoh that you're my sister. So Sarah goes along with it, and sure enough, Pharaoh sees her, and Pharaoh says, wow, she's gorgeous. I want her in my harem. Abraham says, well, she's my sister, and Sarah says, well, he's my brother. And so Pharaoh um, brings her into the harem, 
fortunately, God intervenes in that moment and spares Sarah and Abraham. But what's happening in the text? Abraham's afraid. He's feeling very anxious. There's a threat against him. And instead of processing this threat in the presence of the Lord, thinking through what he values and God's promises to him, what does he do? Well, he reacts and he tries to control the situation. And there's this frenetic activity and a plan is hatched. And this is where he has found hope. He's found hope in his plan. But he's acted alone. He's acted independently. And he's acted without processing this uh, with the Lord and with what God says to him. Finally, number four, Jesus directs us to the Father. I think this is the beauty of the text. I think this is how we should be processing our anxiety is in the presence of the Lord. Notice how Jesus speaks to his audience. Think about the field. I think about the lilies of the field. Think about the birds. God feeds them. God clothes them. Um, he's, he's reminding his audience about God's intimate involvement in very insignificant things. Um, why? Because he wants them to realize God's just as involved in big things. God's involved in your life. He wants to bring us back to that reality. And that's why at least twice in the text, he says, your father, your father knows you need these things before you ask for them. Your father is his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Jesus directs us to bring God back into our anxiety, to bring God back into our lives, into our moments where we're feeling anxious. And he reminds them of how much more value are you. The question remains, to who? I'm valuable to who? If God closed the the, the lilies, if God feeds the ravens, aren't you more valuable to God than these things? And the answer is, of course we are. Um, but this is Jesus bringing us back into the presence of God. And I think that's where we're going we're gonna to move to next week, is how do we process this anxiety that we're feeling in the presence of God? What does God say to us when we're feeling anxious? Um, I think if you read a passage like, Philippians chapter 4, Paul says, Be anxious for nothing, but by everything with prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known unto God. I think that's going to be a great text for us to turn to as we also look at Luke chapter 12 to see how Jesus directs us when we're feeling anxious to go into the presence of God and to hear the voice of God speak into our uncertainty and into our anxiety. But the first thing you have to do is learn the fruit is recognize the fruit, recognize that you have some anxiety, listen, write down the reasoning behind your responses and behind how you're thinking about that to expose the real valuable that's being threatened. And I think then, you, you know, once you, once you analyze that valuable to say, is it something that God wants me to value or is, am I putting my values in earthly things where moth, rust, dust corrupts, where thieves can break in and steal, have I put too much value on those things? Um, then you can start to process this anxiety in the presence of the Lord. So some applications. Uh, number one, whether you're dealing with your own anxiety or whether you're helping someone, I would strongly remind you that when people 
are expressing anxiety, whether it's your children or your spouse or just a friend, that they are talking about the anxiety, the uncertainty they feel with their valuables. Uh, so imagine that you are handling your friend's fine china. Uh, and I would rem remind you that you're handling your own fine china. Uh, our valuables are very important to us. But ask the question, what fruit do you see? If you're dealing with your own anxiety, what fruit do you see? How are you responding to it? What symptoms? What physical symptoms? What emotional symptoms? What social symptoms? What spiritual sy symptoms do you see? And is that fruit the fruit of the Spirit? If it's not, then you've got something you can deal with. You've got something that God wants to help you with. Um, and, and if you're really bold and you can't see how you're handling your anxiety, consider going to others, a trusted friend, and say, hey, what do you see? Here's what I'm thinking. Here's and, and lay out your reasoning in front of them and let someone who loves you and who's, uh, who's outside the subjectivity of the situation uh, listen to you and, and coach you um, as you think about the things that you value. Um, why have you responded this way? And, and this isn't just to the physical symptoms, but why have you responded to anxiety the way that you have? And then kind of write down your thoughts. Open up your journal. Write down, why am I responding to anxiety this way? Maybe it's the frenetic activity. Maybe you're toiling and spinning. And <laughs> Why? What am, I, what am I afraid of? What is it that's grasped me? What is it that I believe? Um, I would encourage you to listen for distortion and overvaluation. Um, distortion about your situation, about the threat, about the value, about where God is in all of this, about what you're responsible to do versus what God is responsible to do, about what you're able to do versus what God is able to do. So listen for distortion. Listen for overvaluing something in this world or in this life. Um, what is the value? Can you identify the treasure? Can you identify the thing that you are worried about, that you are protecting? And I think if you can get to that, it might be tangible. It might be, here's often a good question, what will having that tangible thing give me? What will that do for me? And that will reveal the more intangible uh, treasure that you have. And then do you have something to repent of? When you look at that valuable, if you've identified that valuable well, is it something that you have placed too much value on? Has your valuable become a treasure that is robbing you of the rest and peace that Christ has for you? Are you finding your hope in treasure? Or are you finding your hope and your, your value in the kingdom of God and his righteousness? And then just to say it again, God has tons of grace for you. He values you, and he wants to give you rest for your soul. I want to encourage you in that. Father, grant us grace as we engage the anxiety that we're experiencing, and as we learn to process it in your presence for your glory. Amen.